0: Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. I want to thank Amanda Carpenter and Will Salatin for sitting in for me yesterday. I appreciate it very much. We're doing summer hours, so I'm taking Mondays off. I think four podcasts uh, plus a secret podcast plus uh, the newsletters is enough. But the news cycle is not taking a breather. And as we speak, uh, the January 6th committee is prepared to hold another public hearing. We don't know what the Supreme Court is going to be doing over the next several weeks. But let's just dive into everything that is going on. So uh, we are very fortunate to be joined by former Congressman Denver Riggleman, who until recently was a top staffer of the January 6th committee. So welcome back to the podcast, Denver.
1: Thanks for having me, Charlie.
0: So before we dive into all of this, we, we have to talk about a few things, okay? Okay. Because you and I have been through a similar experience over the last several weeks. We both lost our best buddies, our companions. My, my dog Pete died at 17 and a half, and, and you lost a puppy as well, didn't you?
1: I lost two uh, Samoyeds this year. Totally. One was 11. One year? Yes. Yeah. One was 11 and a half. One was 12 and a half or 12 and a quarter, you know, but within 10 months, yeah, they were half brothers. You know, they were about five days apart and, um, yeah, they both contracted diabetes about the same time, two years before. And then, you know, then they died and we lost both of the Samoyeds and I saw, you know, your poor dog, man, Pete, that's just so sad. Well, not so poor. Sad. I mean, he, he
0: lived a good. He lived a good life, and you know, I look back on that and think of all the bonus years that he got. But I, I guess the point is that you know the world is divided into two kinds of people: the kinds of people that get this conversation we're having now, and the ones who don't. You know that it's that it's a loss in the family, and and I know there are people out there going, "Ah, it's just a, it's just a pet." But when you've experienced it, it's it's not. And so that's why I wanted it. because I I know that it was it was painful for you, and you went out and got a new dog though, right?
1: I did. Um, we got a new Australian
0: Shepherd. Congratulations on that. I, th- I think we're going to hold off on getting dog number number three. All right. So we have a lot to talk about today, including your work on uh, the, the January 6th committee. It is interesting. I'm, I'm sure that you saw this, that uh, Donald Trump is uh, clearly a little bit concerned about what's going on. I mean, last week he asked for equal time. This week he's having apparently some second thoughts about the political genius of Kevin McCarthy You know, there's a lot of, you know, buzz on the right, you know, that there's nothing to see here. But uh, he gave an interview to this far right uh, host, Dwayne Allen Root, who's way, way out there. And he's ripping McCarthy for not putting his defenders on the panel. He's experiencing a little bit of, you know, yearning for I need a little bit of Matt Gaetz and Jim Jordan. Somebody's going to show for me. He said, unfortunately, a bad decision was made. This committee, it was a bad decision not to have representation on that committee. This was a very, very foolish decision because they try to pretend they're legit. And he goes on, this is just a one. Sided witch hunt, so I don't know. Denver, this strikes me as a tell that he's paying a lot of attention to what's going on in the committee, and he's realizing this is not good for him. Which is kind of a a different look from Donald Trump, was always, it's nothing, it's not nothing to worry about here. What
1: do you think? Well, I tell you, when um, when he would said that, there's a couple of things that are happening, signaling that maybe McCarthy isn't his really his choice for speaker anymore, which, you know, it's going to be very interesting if it comes to that. I think the second thing, too, is that the evidence has been so damning, especially from Republican individuals, um, that I think he's having a bit of a moment. And, you know, not having people on the committee, there's something in the intelligence world called Intel Gain Loss or IGL, Charlie, mm-hmm. and you always want to have access to the information. And if you throw a temper tantrum and you no longer want access or you think you're making some kind of political statement, what happens is you, you lose access to that information. So instead of them having any ability to see where the committee is going, to have equal access, uh, to be able to message around what the committee's trying to do, instead they're in the dark. They don't know what's coming tomorrow They have, or today. They, they have no idea. They 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 have to buckle in. Right. They have to they have to, you know, snap in and hope that they can actually survive this ride. Uh, However, Charlie, as you know, there's not a whole lot of people on the Republican side watching this. And I think that is a problem. I think the last poll was about one in five Republicans are interested in the hearings. But again, as far as a fact finding mission, I think Donald Trump is aware that this evidence doesn't look great for him.
0: On the other hand, I keep flashing back to the you can't handle the truth moment where, you know, if you listen to Trump, he's basically saying, yeah, I did it and I'm glad I did it. Right. I mean, he he is uh, he has uh, over and over again reiterated the fact that, yes, he wanted to overturn the election. Yes, he conspired to get the the election thrown out, that he was pressuring Mike Pence to do all of this, that he supported the demonstrators on January 6th. So, I mean, there's a little bit of a disconnect that there's no there's no mystery here. We're not like solving, you know, you know. Was there a crime and did he commit a crime? He's saying, yeah, damn right I committed it and I'm you not know, likely to do it again.
1: <laughs> I think we've established that Donald Trump still thinks the election was fraudulent yeah. regardless of the facts. You know, I think what's more important to me, I look at this maybe a little bit differently even than the committee, which they've done a fantastic job you know, with interviews and things like that. What I want to know and what, what I was really interested in and what I helped the committee with was how did the actual coordination work From the top down, right? What was the commander's intent? What was the intent of what these individuals were doing? And then did they communicate? Did they coordinate across multiple layers or levels, you know, to perpetuate a fraud or to, you know, in some instances, I would say to utilize this fraud to make a tremendous amount of money. So those are the kind of things that I'm very interested in is how do we stop this in the future and how did that structure look? What, what was that sort of linkage that you saw at each level that allowed them to get to the state legislators like you're talking about today, but also allowed them to push this message out into the sort of the disinformation ecosystem around Stop the Steal?
0: Yeah, let me uh, just play a little bit of a soundbite. You were on uh, CNN last week explaining the attack on the Capitol is, is really a terrorism investigation. And this is what you had to say on CNN last week
1: when you look at how you know the coordination happened, when you look at the other groups that are involved, you know, the committee hasn't gotten to the rally planners yet. The committee hasn't gotten to the people on the ground yet, you know, the day of. The committee hasn't talked about the state legislators yet a lot, right? They've they mentioned the alternate electors. There's still multiple groups. The committee has just touched the service in these first three hearings. I think the next three hearings is gonna build on this, and this is a terrorism problem. It's a coordination problem. But it's also us looking at what we call the techniques, tactics, and procedures of the TTPs of these groups and actually digging in into how they were able to do this.
0: So this is interesting because there's really two separate investigations that are going on, right? I mean, the the actual events of January 6th, which were really a terrorist attack on the, on, on the Capitol. And then you have the larger plot by Donald Trump to overturn the election. And the job of the committee is somehow to weave all of that together, right? I mean, to connect all of the dots that you had this terrorist attack, you have this massive grift, but you also had this very concerted uh, attempt to pressure state officials to use their, you know, use the uh, legislatures to overturn the, the, uh, the popular vote. So the, the committee has a very wide remit, doesn't it, Denver?
1: It does. And that's what makes it such a challenge, you know, for the committee is to sort of engage the American public and how many different groups uh, were involved. But also the you're right. There's sort of two different paths here. There's the intent or what Trump and his inner circle, circle knew or what they knew about the coordination. But then if you drop down a layer, there's that really important sort of second, third and fourth tier about how that coordination happened across, you know, those states, whether it was legislators or activists or fundraisers or messaging, all of those things are very, very important. Because if you're looking at a sort of a domestic terrorism problem, you know, your baseline really is, Charlie, the radicalization pipeline. And if people are pushing lies into this sphere and individuals are reacting to that based on money being pushed that way or algorithmic targeting. That is really important for the American public to know. So yes, we can we can talk about Donald Trump here, but there's a larger problem in the future. Is that social media and interconnectivity and I would say um, encrypted apps, the ability to really enhance your command and control through social media or through digital preparation of the battle space is what I would call it in a military term, is really, really interesting. And if we don't get our arms around that also, we can talk about somebody like Trump and those people who had really no moral compass and wanted to grift their way back to the presidency. But on this on the other hand, how many other people were involved that sort of took the ball and ran with it and were able to coordinate in a way that almost looked like military coordination.
0: Well, let's take a step back from all of this because I agree with everything you're talking about. I mean, we're trying to find out you know, how this plot spread and the, the radicalization that's, that's, that's going on here. We're at a moment now where it feels as if it has, we're getting very close to normalizing the idea of political violence, that it's become more and more frequent, and, and this may sound like a digression, digression, but I wanted to just bounce this off of you, this extraordinary ad by the leading Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Missouri, Eric Greitens, uh, who basically is talking about political murder. Just a little bit of background on all of this. Eric Reitens, I mean, this is an extraordinary story. I mean, talk about a guy who is testing the limits of post-shame politics. Eric Greitens was forced to resign as governor in disgrace after a series of scandals, including a sex scandal and allegations that he tied a woman up in his basement and took pictures of her. And yet somehow he is, you know, without shame, you know, and he is leading in the polls and he's really angling for Donald Trump's endorsement but he puts out an ad in which he shows himself, you know, armed with with a rifle and a SWAT team targeting rhinos, Republicans in name. only. let's just play the audio of this, because there's, there's there's no other way to really summarize what the leading Republican candidate for the United States Senate in Missouri is doing. And no euphemisms here. He's talking about killing his political enemies here. Let's play it. I'm Eric Greitens, Navy SEAL. And today we're going rhino hunting. The rhino feeds on corruption and is marked by the stripes of cowardice. Join the MAGA crew. Get a rhino hunting permit. There's no bagging limit, no tagging limit, and it doesn't expire until we save our country. Jesus. So, Denver... Here we have a candidate for the United States Senate who's talking about killing. I mean, there's no euphemisms here. I'm talking about killing his political opponents and apparently thinks that this is going to appeal to this radicalized Republican base. So, you know, it's one thing to have these extremist groups on these encrypted apps, you know, talking about what they're planning on doing. But. They're just taking the mask off and going, yeah, we're 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 embracing this kind of violent subculture. So talk to me about this, because this seems to be one of the legacies of January 6th is the is kind of the embrace of political violence or at least the the normalization
1: of it. I think it's almost as if they're polling on this right now, Charlie. (laughs) Um, You know, I think they probably put out some type of poll where it says he might have been weak on the Second Amendment or maybe, you know, they still thought of him as a rhino. Or they, you know, there, there's something that happened there where that there's some consultant with Eric Reitens who thought it would be a great idea to, you know, utilize weapons, right, to do to use some door kickers to go say that they need to go bag some rhinos. And I'm not quite sure what goes through your head, but I don't think Wrighten's probably has a very good judgment meter anyway, and he's a criminal who's done some heinous things, right, or been accused of some heinous things. It seems to me, though, that this normalization of violence or this normalization of this machismo or whatever – um, has gone to the point that, it, you know, any, listen, any LARP or any live action role player out there who's part of meal team six, right? These, these guys <laughs> who dress up for pretend, right? Is who he's trying to appeal to, you know, it's the guys who buy a whip antenna for their 2003 Ford Taurus and tell people their secret service, right? But those people can actually pull the trigger. All you need is a finger and a weapon, uh, you know, and some rounds. And that's what scares me about these type of ads is that they're just unhinged. Uh, they come from a place of deep disturbance, and you know, almost a mental disease, of individuals who need to lean forward to say that you know they're the toughest out there, or the gun culture is for them, or the simple fact that people who are rhinos or Democrats or independents, anybody who doesn't agree with him needs to be eliminated for this to be the one true free country. And I think that's a real problem.
0: Yeah, people are scratching their heads about, you know, what is his intent here? Is, is it simply to distract from all of his other scandals, you know, to get people talking about all of this? Look, I know that, you know, some some, you know, right wing folks will brush this off as trolling for the lulls, you know, or or maybe it's a sign that, you know, Brighton will fight, you know, and I, Ella Pundit had an interesting analysis. He said, essentially, Greitens is weaponizing his own immorality, but it might it might actually work. And, and he writes he doesn't mince any words. He said, you know, Greitens fascist ad is a signal to some of these voters that essentially says, I may be a scumbag, but I'll use my scumminess to punish your enemies, which is kind of also the Trump bargain with Republican voters in a nutshell. Right. You know, that's yeah,
1: <laughs> so funny you said that, Charlie. I might be a scumbag, but I'm your scumbag. And that's right. you know, and I'll fight right. dirty and on your behalf. That's exactly right. And I think people listen, if the ends always justify the means, if you're appealing to a crowd who believes in some hysterical conspiracy theories, or that globalists are trying to take your guns, or globalists try to stole the election, or globalists created COVID, or Bill Gates funded COVID. Right, or ballots are being burned, you know, in white vans, or there's truckloads, there's dumpster loads of ballots, as Giuliani changed the story the other day. All this stuff is sort of a hysterical belief system that they are fighting good against evil. And Grightons is simply messaging to those individuals that hey, look, I'm here to help you fight against evil. Regardless of who I am, I'm that guy. And I think it's going to get him some votes, Charlie. I actually think his polls will go up a bit, no you know, way. because of this ad.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see what other Republicans say about this. I mean, there was once a time not that long ago when when if somebody, you know, did something that was regarded as completely offensive, that other Republicans would distance themselves from it. I don't know that that's going to happen. You know, I know that you know, other Missouri Republicans have pushed back on this. But nationally, will he be treated like a pariah? I would say highly unlikely.
1: Highly unlikely. Who's who, Marjorie Taylor Greene going to come out against this ad? You know, Matt Gates. I mean, any of these, you know, sort of, you know, far right mouth breathers, are they going to come out and say that this is, this is wrong? And, you know, the other thing too, which is really interesting about this is that the the Missouri fraternal order of police came out against this ad, which oh was, you know, you know, so, so the FOP came out against the ad, you know, because it's, it's really heinous. And, and here's the thing about on the Republican side, I think, did Greitens forget about the Scalise shooting? Um, you know, and and I think when you're when you're pushing violence like this, when it's not even innuendo anymore, right? Um, you know, you would think somebody like a Steve Scalise would come out and say, "Listen, I might be a Second Amendment supporter, but anybody who's trying to incite political violence needs to remember the baseball game not too long ago where I was shot and almost killed." And I think that's that's something that Republicans need to remember is that violence can go both ways, and you know, when when you look at far right violence, you know, the biggest indicator of far right violence is far left violence. You know, the biggest indicator of far left violence is far right violence. Mm. So people do react to this and that's in the data. And that's what scares me is that when you see people like this on the far right acting like this, does this sort of weaponize certain under other fringe elements to say, listen, we have to respond in kind. And that's when you get into real trouble.
0: Well, I mean, we had the case of the guy that uh, traveled from California to Brett Kavanaugh's house. Exactly right. And, you know, he was obviously uh, on the left. So in, in my newsletter today, I quoted a tweet from Nicholas Grossman, who writes for Arc Digital, who said, if America descends into instability and political violence, as many fear a sitting governor and U.S. Senate candidate putting out an ad, a former governor putting out an ad featuring images of paramilitary raids against members of his party he considers insufficiently loyal, will turn out to be many of the signs along the way. And I'm sorry, you know, the, you know, put this in the context of, of the shootings that have taking place, the violence, you know, the you know, the the utter shamelessness when the country is still wrestling with what happened in Texas, what happened in Buffalo, and then of course we're hearing. From your former colleague, you know, Adam Kinzinger, who, uh, you know, received a death threat notice aimed not at him alone, but at his wife and his child. You know, I mean, and he it. he said, to his wife, you know, I won't even read it here, but I mean, you know, it talks about, you know, names his little child by name, objects to the fact that they named the child Christian, refers to her by an obscenity, talks about uh, executing Adam Kinzinger, but don't worry, you and Christian will be joining Adam in hell, too. I mean, it's like, you would think there would be a moment where people would go, all right, this is dangerous, on both sides. Both sides are at risk if this gets out of hand and that doesn't seem to be happening.
1: No, it doesn't. And you know, we can you know, the, the issue with about fringe violence, and and I'll tell you right now, the far right seems to be in a hold my beer moment with yeah. this, but you know, especially when you look at the grinds ad and things like that. But when you look at what happened to Brett Kavanaugh, when you look at some of these other things if we open that door we continue to open it wider right first it's a it's a crack right then it's a couple inches wide and then all of a sudden you have a a one foot wide crack in that door people are going to go through that door especially if they believe there's a good against evil fight going on regardless of where you're at and i think that's that's my fear is that are we willing as a society to say hey we need to identify you know what's going on you know not only through social media But through public statements through ads are we willing to identify you know what these threats are regardless you know of what people might say hey you know grinds is just it's his first amendment right it is it is it actually is however it's my first amendment right to call you a blooming asshole right i can you know i can i can do that and i think that's what people need to do is, is the first amendment's a very strong thing and i think you know, Charlie, I would say people like me and you we are using our First Amendment rights to say these guys who are who are speaking this way are wrong. Uh, they're out of school, but they also could create a violent sort of pattern. And when you see what happens to Adam, you know, I'm so angry for the guy. You know, Adam's a former is not a former. I'm a former Air Force guy, but we're both Air Force blood. And, you know, that's really what it comes down to, as I see a, a brother in arms whose family is being attacked by crazy people. And uh, I want to help him.
0: Let's circle back to what's going on with the January 6th committee because you were so deeply involved in this. So you were on MSNBC over the weekend and had some interesting comments about one of the aspects of the the plots the conspiracies that we're seeing the massive scope of the grift surrounding the stealing the the election let's just play a little bit of that
1: you no know, stop the steal just isn't a conspiracy theory it's a brand so you have individuals you know members that are raising money on that type of hyperbole and outrage You have the RNC, the NSRC, the NRCC. You have individuals that are using stop the steal outrageous language and hyperbole to raise money. So when you're talking about $250 million, I do believe that's the floor. I think follow the money might be the most important, um, I guess, part of the investigation for the committee. Uh, They have a very talented team there. And when you see at the end of this, whether it's the report, whether they get to in the hearing, Stephanie, I think just the amount of money that, that flows through this grift, and I think it's the largest conspiratorial grift in the history of the United States, when you see the money that flows through this grift, uh, when you see the team's investigation and how the committee puts it together, I think the country uh, will realize right, that um, you know, you're know you on the edge of, of a very big fraud here of the American people. And when they pass around that digital collection plate, whether it's through email fundraising, whether it's through hard mailers, whether it's through digital, you know all of this is really based on some of the most bizarre conspiracy theories we've ever seen with foreign interference. And again, that should concern the American public.
0: You know, as, as you mentioned before, the American public, you know, should understand that they're being scammed here. But, you know, as you mentioned in a newspaper interview recently, you're talking about deprogramming a large portion of the population. I'm just fascinated, though, by the fact that the, the evidence is overwhelming that the Trump world is scamming its own people that they regard their own folks as gullible rubes, and that doesn't seem to bother them. <laughs> I Again, I'm not going to say it's a side issue, but it's certainly one of the most extraordinary aspects of this that I think people look back and go, how did you not recognize what
1: this was really all about? Well, you know, I don't want to get in too much trouble here. Yeah, yeah. So um, here's the deal. I think there's a, a significant portion of our nation that are Marx. They really are. But I think part of it, too, is that the individuals that are, and I, some of them I know, right, they're, I've I've lost friends and family to this, is they do believe there's an apocalyptic issue here, right, that this is a good against evil and that Trump is an imperfect vessel to sort of satisfy a perfect mission. And that perfect mission is, you know, ordained from on high. And I believe if if you have people that are passing around, that's why I call it the digital collection plate. If you have people passing that around, um, these individuals are are willing to give if they think that their country's at stake, and sadly, they've been radicalized through multiple channels. I mean, this stuff has been mainlined into their frontal lobes. Whether it's through them choosing whatever echo chamber on social media they want to look at, through fundraising, uh, through TV, through RSBN, you know, through OAN or through weird stuff on Newsmax, all this stuff is them just sort of, uh, sort of swimming in their own you know echo chamber of you know, sort of disinformation filth, and they're enjoying it. And I think if they think that our country's, you know, about to be taken over by globalists, which is just another term for Satanists or for Jewish individuals, uh, it's so anti-Semitic. If they think that's the issue, Charlie, they're going to give money. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else to tell people. Like, they're, they think this is a good against evil battle. We're at the beginning of the Great Tribulation.
0: So how is the committee doing? Give me your uh, thumbnail reviews of the first Three hearings. Uh, you and I are speaking the day of. We, we haven't heard what they're going to be doing today. And it's going to be, I think, you know, interesting. Brad Raffensperger, uh, Gabe Sterling, the the uh, speaker of the Arizona House of uh, Representatives is going to be uh, speaking. So, you know, where are we in the cycle of painting the picture, connecting the dots?
1: I think when you see how they started the first hearing, Charlie, where they sort of baselined it with the timeline of the video, you can go back to that first hearing and see how they're building the case uh, of what happened as far as radicalization all the way up to the day of, and even a little bit afterwards, right, as they continued that grift with the money when you when you saw you know Amanda Wick from the Green team talk about the two hundred and fifty million dollars. They're talking about you know that grift that happened even afterwards, right? There's grift that continues after the 250 million. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, how they continue to build on that baseline. When you talk about the last three hearings, if people are paying attention, which we know not everybody, right? right. You know, not everybody's paying attention. If people are paying attention, they're saying that there's a directed effort to overturn the election through multiple channels. And that's why they split the, the committee up into their investigative teams. So you've already seen File the Money, but you've also seen you know the uh, some of the stuff around Trump, right? Those individuals that talked around Trump, some of his attorneys. Um, you've seen also sort of the first beginnings of the domestic violent extremism, right? The radicalization path and how these people were actually radicalized. And now you're getting into alternate electors. You're getting into, you know, how these individuals, you know, were not only raising money off this, but how they were pushing state legislators to send alternate electors, right, so that they could overturn the election. So you're seeing them build up the case to where my belief is in the last hearing, they're going to sort of have a summary that back that that sort of refers back to the first hearing. So like I've told people, they're going to tell you what they're going to tell you the first hearing. They're, then they're going to tell you which is hearings you know two through five, and then they're going to tell you what they told you. And that's really a a military briefing. They're setting this up almost as sort of looking at a course of action or looking at uh, sort of an after action report on what happened during a terrorism event. And I think they're being very effective in that.
0: So you gave a newspaper interview recently where you said that you're not as confident in the short term that it will be as explosive as we'd like it to be. Correct. So talk to me about that.
1: Sure. I think this is a long fuse bombshell, but not short-term. I will stand by that because I think there's a significant portion of the population that are ignoring this or listening to alternate news sources. So I think what I told individuals this, and here it is, Charlie. Are you ready? I hope I hope you're ready for this. I believe the committee is going to be successful if they can change between 3 and 5% of registered voters' minds about what happened on January 6th. So here's what we have. If you're talking about, yeah. you know, how many people voted? 150 million? 155 million? So say we had 155 million voting. My hope is, and, and this is maybe, if, if three to five million people, three to seven million people, you know, as far as registered voters are like, huh, isn't that interesting? You know, isn't that something? Maybe it's a center-right independent, Charlie. Maybe it's somebody right down the middle. Maybe it's even somebody on the far right. They say, you know what, you know, maybe our institutions are more important than this individual who pushed something that was obviously a falsehood. You know, maybe, maybe I don't vote for these guys. Maybe these people are lying to me. Maybe the fact that I've sent a lot of money in on this stop to steal nonsense, you know, looks to me like a little bit of a fraud. What if, Charlie, We can do a three to five percent, you know, turn of event that would change the elections. That would change the direction, you know, of the Republican Party a little bit. But right now, I don't know if the Republican Party can be saved right now. But I do think if we can change the minds of three to five percent people over the next year or two, as they look at the evidence, as they revisit it. I think that is a success. But as far as some short-term massive explosion where it's gonna affect the 2022 midterms, nah. No, no. I, I, I don't I don't really see that.
0: No, I don't either. And, and I, I think long-term, it's also creating the historical record, which is important. And, and you mentioned building the case, but the question is which case? What case are they building? Where does this go? Where do you come down on the question of, should they make a criminal referral? Does that matter? Does this go to the Department of Justice? Are we talking about criminal liability for Donald Trump um, and his uh, his Confederates?
1: Goodness, that's a great question. I don't think a referral matters one way or the other. I think once there's more information sharing between Congress and the DOJ, I think you're going to see a more robust pattern, maybe of charges and indictments for certain individuals. The problem they're going to have is that, and, and I've seen this, is that how do you directly connect... You know, President Trump just saying, you know, I want this insurrection to happen. Does he really believe this? Is he going to blame his lawyers? Is he going to blame Eastman? You know, how difficult is that for the DOJ when they have a, you know, not only a Republican majority, but when they know the divisiveness and they're doing their own polling and it looks like people want to move on from January 6th? And, and I hate to be so cold politically, but um, I think that's an issue. Uh, For the DOJ is that where are they at? Right. We should be looking at facts and justice, regardless of political wins. Um, That's been my argument for a long time. And I would I would be very aggressive. But on the other hand, you know, I'm not there looking at the data or the evidence and I'm not an attorney. But I was a counterterrorism expert, Charlie. And I can yeah. tell you when I see something wrong, I know something's wrong. Right. So there you go.
0: Well, you know, as as we're discussing something, it's a target rich environment. It's not necessarily simply a matter of what did the president know and when did he know it? What did he believe? Because, of course, we're dealing with the lizard mind of, of Donald Trump. There are so many other things involving potential wire fraud or, uh, you know, fraud, you know, election Misconduct. Um, the other things involving what we do know on tape, the pressuring of state officials. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know what the Department of Justice is looking at. I know that there are some difficulties if you have to prove what his state of mind was, which strikes me as kind of a nightmare. But there are others that might be more tangible. Okay, so I have to ask you about the the craziness down in Texas and the fact that it's not an outlier. I mean, just to remind people, Denver, and you correct me if I, you know, misunderstand this, you're an elected Republican congressman from Virginia, the fifth 5th District. You preside over a same-sex marriage and a wedding, and all hell breaks loose. And after a very, very bizarre change in the rules and a caucus, you lose the renomination to a MAGA type. So... When you read about what's going on in Texas, this is not an outlier. Some of the things that are happening down there, the radicalization, these are not just one-offs, are they? There's something, something really extraordinary is happening to the grassroots all over the country.
1: It is. And I, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a pride that I was the first one taken out that way, Charlie, <laughs> But uh, when you see what happened to Dan Crenshaw, when you see what their platform is at the Texas GOP, I remember I was in a brewery down, I think, in Halifax County, and I was giving a speech, and I was confronted by an individual who screamed at me, "You're the general of the sodomite armies," um, which was, you know, I hadn't heard that one before. Uh, that was that was something, and I remember he was he was screaming at me uh saying you know that i was you know i've been called the tool of the antichrist and things of that nature or whatever he was you know gibbering on about and then i said listen i said where are you hearing these things and i was getting pretty confrontational he goes i read about you all the time i've read how you're funded by george soros and oh, so i just yeah so I, I paused a second i said oh you can read and it got really bad after that oh yeah and yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so um it got so um You know, that's the thing that with Dan, too, he just ignores that stuff. I mean, Dan's former military like me, and you understand when people are just you know screaming. The issue is, is that when you combine that with Gritens, when you combine that with all these other sort of ads that are, you know, guns, Christmas pictures, all that kind of stuff, there's an additive value to that or an additive quality where individuals could act on it. And I think what you're seeing in the Texas GOP is you're seeing sort of the base mobilizing around that radicalizing message, and that should, again, concern people.
0: Well, I think one of the, the things that, that's catching people by surprise, and I and I mean over the last several months, is is the way that it's all about the gays. It's all of things that, that had really, we, we kind of thought we had moved past now is central to the culture war. And so you have the Texas Republican Party passing a resolution that declares homosexuality an abnormal lifestyle choice, which is really something for this particular decade. And And I mean, it's, it is almost like the Westboro Baptist Church is moving into the the mainstream. Um so it, and but and, and that's just kind of the warm up. I mean, they attacked their own senator John Cornyn for working on gun safety legislation. They explicitly say that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. They called for the repeal of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, this landmark civil rights piece of legislation, and this is just a warm up for what I said, you know, what history may remember is the main event, you know, talking about nullification and secession. This is one of the resolutions. Texas retains the right to secede from the United States. And the Texas legislature should be called upon to pass a referendum. Now, what I wrote this morning, Denver, was, OK, I understand that people are tempted to roll their eyes at the crazy. But this is the platform of the governing party of the nation's second largest state. And if you've been paying attention, you know how fast these crazy ideas become mainstream. You've lived it, and the Texas Republicans—you know—maybe you know batshit crazy, but they're not alone. I mean, look at Arizona, look at Nevada, look at Virginia. And I'm telling you, I just think that whether the reality happens or not, which I'm—you know—I don't, I'm not making a prediction. But this buzz about secession is going to continue to be a real thing. I'm trying to imagine if the Republicans lose the next presidential election how that's gonna ramp up and it's gonna take everybody by surprise. What do you think?
1: If it takes people by surprise, nobody's paying attention. You know, people laughed at me about the QAnon resolution, right. Charlie. I was by myself, man. Let me tell you. And December 10th, when I gave my farewell speech, I'm like, you know, we gotta, we gotta be careful. And I remember coming off the floor and a couple of members saying, Denver, man, uh, we don't think you know these are just a bunch of crazy loons that are sitting in the corner and, and uh, by right, the way Charlie right. these are the same people that are appealing to those crazy loons sitting in the corner um so I do believe that violence is not only something we we have to worry about I think it's almost when you're seeing what's going on around the country I think we can absolutely say as a probable thing to happen is we're going to have violence on a level that's going to scare people. And notwithstanding January 6th, notwithstanding what you're seeing with, with shootings in schools or in malls, I think when you, again, gosh darn it, Charlie, when you go back to what you just asked, which is such a great question, if we're not prepared for violence based on what's happening right now, we are not, we're not seeing the field. And when I talk about domestic terrorism, you look at the specific definitions people can go crazy if they think they're somehow you know part of the new 1776 returns movement and that's what you're saying we're saying that these people believe that the that america needs to return to its roots of revolution and that they have to fight this globalist takeover and all of this is based on sort of this apocalyptic or great tribulation or the fact that religiously they need to do it and that's the issue you have it's very hard for facts to break through to people who believe they're in a war for their very soul. And that's the thing that we have in front of us right now.
0: So later today, the Speaker of the Arizona House, uh, Rusty Bowers, is going to be testifying. He's going to describe the pressure campaign from Trump, from Rudy Giuliani and Virginia Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, and um, and apparently uh, Trump and Giuliani uh, pushed uh, Bowers to change Arizona's law retroactively to allow the legislature to choose a different slate of presidential electors than the ones picked by voters. Do you have any thoughts about this whole Ginny Thomas thing and where that's going? <laughs>
1: you know, I have thoughts. <laughs> you know, you, I have thoughts. You know, I was yeah. the first one to see your text messages. Yeah. Beside Jenny and Mark Meadows himself because I, I'm the, our, our team was the one who broke out those text messages, and I attached the numbers to names. So that's really what we had to do. And the fact is, when I saw that, a couple of things. Number one, QAnon had infiltrated every level of the Republican Party. Number two, you had, at least tangentially, you had all three branches of government involved in text messages, which really bothered me. And the other thing, too, is she was bragging about her access to every level of government within the text messages. So for her Nobody should be surprised that she was emailing state governments to try to overturn the election it just should be a surprise and her belief system is skewed and i don't know if there's some type of issue that she needs to address or what it is but that belief system does suggest some mental problems and Oof. i'm I'm just not quite sure to know it just does suggest that was that too well, much too much
0: no, no this is this is not this is not too much i mean you 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 think about you know some of these these crazy people that are around and one of the interesting questions is you know why are there so many meetings with John Eastman? Why does Virginia Thomas have this kind of of access? You know, why is Powell sitting in the White House? And the answer is always, well, either because Donald Trump himself wants them in these meetings or in the case of Virginia Thomas, because she's Clarence Thomas's wife. You know, I mean, not every nut job in Washington has this kind of access. And she does because of her name. Denver Riggleman, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. And thank you for all of your efforts with uh, the January 6th committee and going forward.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you, Charlie. You have a great day, buddy.
0: The Bulwark Podcast is produced by Katie Cooper with audio production by Jonathan Siri. I'm Charlie Sykes. Thank you for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast, and we'll be back tomorrow. We'll do this all over again.